2: Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science, as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions, as decided exclusively by us. Isaac Asimov once said the most exciting phrase in science is not Eureka, but that's funny. And respectfully, we just think you can have a bit of both, Isaac. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Not a real doctor. Of course, always nice to <laughs> always nice to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not the kind you want if you're bleeding to death, which is ironic because today we are talking about blood. I'll tell you what's ironic. I
3: actually slashed my finger on a kitchen knife this morning, saw my own blood, drunk a bit of it, obviously, because that's what you do,
2: isn't it? Mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. suck it down. Yeah. And uh, yeah. No, are, you, are you all right with blood? I'm actually fine with blood. Yeah. Not squeamish. Well, certainly not. I mean... I say that. I don't want to see, like, gallons of the stuff. <laughs> like, Especially not your own. No, no. Uh, but I've, uh, I mean, I've cracked my head open. Like, when I was a kid, I was always cracking my head open. I've got a lot of stitches, or had a lot of stitches in, in my see. head. Yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> just cracking out brain cells. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think I'm I think I'm fine with blood, yeah. really.
3: Yeah, I am. I mean, sort I've got of... I've got a friend who who can't handle anything to do with blood at all. Like even if you talk about somebody bleeding, they they basically start to pass out. And um and, and when his his wife was about to give
2: birth, the doctors had to give him valium so he could stay in the room. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I, w- I would let you squeeze my hand, but I'm really struggling over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Gasanet, m- air. Gas and air. <laughs> not his
3: finest hour.
2: <laughs> Blood, it's the thick red liquid that fills up our bodies. The endless pumping of your heart has one job: to continuously send the stuff around your body. And if it doesn't, you'll die. That's because it's not just coloured water shooting through your veins; it's a liquid life support system. Roughly five litres worth of it sloshing round and delivering oxygen, nutrition, proteins, glucose, plasma and a whole host of goodness across every inch of your being. But what if it wasn't there? Would we shrivel up like dried coconut husks? What happens if your blood stops working properly? Or it gets old and useless? Surely there are scientists busy in a lab somewhere hunched over and researching ways to replace our blood with something even better. So that is our question today. Could we live... Without blood.
3: As ever, of course, we've got an amazing expert to help us answer today's question. Uh, So we'll be speaking with Professor Ashley Brown, who's part of the Advanced Wound Healing Lab at the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering at North Carolina State University and the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Just A moment's respect for Advanced Wound Healing Lab. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice, isn't it? It's It's nice. great. (laughs) So she, I mean, she works in in developing, you know, sort of blood alternatives, as it were. And her work is uh, breaking the boundaries of what we thought was actually possible. She's uh, received wider acclaim recently uh, for her work developing artificial blood platelets. Uh, Basically, as the American Red Cross declared a blood crisis, uh, supply is running out across America at hospitals and in blood banks. So she's right on it. So the first thing that we asked Ashley was the obvious question, obvious to a physicist anyway, Mm -hmm. which is why do we even need blood?
0: So most importantly, you need blood to provide oxygen to all of your tissues and organs. Without blood, you won't have oxygen transport, and that is very bad for tissue functionality. So that's one of the most critical functions of blood. Without blood, you also are unable to clot, and clotting is the first step in tissue repair. So without blood, you're not going to be able to heal tissue injuries.
2: Yeah, master of understatement there from uh, Professor Ashley when she describes not delivering oxygen as very bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it tends to be called fatal. Yeah.
3: <laughs> anyway, I mean, blood is doing so much more than just delivering oxygen and clotting uh, up at my finger. Um, so it's. I'm going to give you a quick rundown, but Go obviously, on. you know, you know some biology, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, you mm-hmm. know, I'll let you fill in yeah, the don't, blanks.
2: Don't patronise me. Yeah, I'll try not
3: on. to. So uh, all vertebrates, which are backboned animals, Rick. I said, don't patronise me. Uh, uh, they, they all have blood, birds and fish, but um, some animals do not. Do you know what?
2: Any idea? Insects.
3: Yes. Insects have a fluid uh, that doesn't run in, in sort of you know, veins, as it were, just sort of fills the bodies called haemolymph. Uh, we have about nine pints of blood, five litres or so, mm-hmm. travels 12,000 miles a day. That's a fact I didn't really appreciate. How far? 12,000 miles a day. No. In terms of just like constantly moving, what? What do you mean, it It moves. It moves in
2: a total. In, Hold in, in on, what day. what moves? Are you telling me a single a single platelet is not moving? 12, no, not a single miles. platelet. Well, I that's, guess the, that's the kind of aggregate so motion saying? of the aggregate motion. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm moving on. You're gonna have to move on. All right, just that over. Is, that is, I don't know where you read that, but that is. Spurious. You think that's wrong?
3: That, all right, of course it's wrong. We'll go away and che- get in touch with the show if you think that's wrong.
2: <laughs> if you've ever me- measured how far one of your blood plates has travelled, <laughs> uh, get in touch. We're, uh, we're at Twitter at EurekaPod. It'd be great to hear from you because uh, I'll tell you for free. It's not twelve thousand
3: miles. All right, all right, all right. We'll go back and check that one. Fifty-five um, percent of it is plasma.
2: Uh, I, don't, I don't believe any of your stuff, But actually, that does sound about Yeah, me.
3: Yeah, and you take out the clotting factors from that, and you basically what's called blood serum. So, uh, But anyway, so you've got red blood cells, obviously uh, transporting oxygen from the lungs uh, to cells and organs, uh, bringing back carbon dioxide to be exhaled. Mm-hmm. White blood cells, part of the immune system, fighting mm-hmm. infections for you. Platelets, which clot the blood in injuries, mm-hmm. stopping the bleeding. And then plasma is just sort of water- Salts and enzymes its the medium for it all to to sort of move around.
2: It's the carrier, right?
3: It's the carrier. It's the carrier. Uh, Also, blood's obviously taking nutrients and chemicals like glucose and hormones around the body. Uh, Removes waste, like lactic acid, if you're exercising too much. You need Mm -hmm. your blood to take that away. Biggest. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You speak for yourself. (laughs) Um, And it's sort of basically regulating things like body temperature, obviously, as well. That's why you you, you get red when you're a bit too hot. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's the basics of blood.
2: Yeah, I mean, blood fairly clearly is, is useful. And presumably, <laughs> we are interested in kind of messing with it or synthesising it because it's useful to have a backup in case of medical emergencies.
3: Yeah, I mean, people have have messed, and people have known that blood is like this essential, vital thing—the for life force, the life force—for mm. you know, obviously for millennia now, uh, and and you know, basically tried to mess with it, you know, right from day one. So there's tales from ancient Rome about people. Drinking the blood of dying gladiators, like uh, basically, you know, to to heal illnesses. So the idea is, you know, like, rush down to the arena and guzzle it down as they as they kind of bleed the, bleed to death.
2: So yeah, that, I mean, the, the worst bit of that. I mean, obviously it's gruesome anyway, but it's the fact that it's dying gladiators, not not yeah, dead well, You don't want to be,
3: how to suck it out? Do you? you want it pumping still? You know.
2: Well, I guess, yeah. (laughs)
3: Horrible. In in medieval Europe, apparently, people used to go to executions and get it fresh and hot from the bodies that had just (laughs) been decapitated.
2: (laughs) What was the aim? Were they sort of thinking, well, this will just burn
3: me up? I mean, healing illnesses, if you're you're not very well, you're sort of thinking, well, you know, I I could do with some fresh blood. It's mm. at the time when people thought there were like, you know, four four humours and, yeah. and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 1483, King Louis XI of France drank the blood of healthy children, basically because he, he was dying of leprosy. <laughs> and he thought this might help.
2: I uh, mean, it's some naughty stuff going on in the past. Yeah, I mean, we all uh, know it. And,
3: and, you know, once you're rich and powerful, I mean, who knows what Elon Musk is doing? So, you know.
2: It'd actually be more surprising to find out that Elon Musk wasn't drinking his <laughs> blood. <laughs> really? Huh. Yeah, just on the diet cokes. <laughs> but presumably, um, at some point, people started realising that if you want to get the the benefits of other people's blood, the thing to do is not to drink it, where you're just going to sort of yeah, it and then yeah. piss and shit it out. Yeah, but to kind of plug into someone else's supply, for want of a better phrase.
3: Yeah, exactly. So blood transfusions, but as uh, Professor Ashley explained to us, it wasn't exactly scientific when it started.
0: Blood transfusion was first tried, I believe it was in the 1600s, and some of the first transfusions were with sheep, I believe. And then subsequently, we had sheep to human transfusions. And there was a period of time where there was a lot of work in transfusing different types of liquids into humans. So things like milk were actually transfused for quite some time. That fell out of favor because people, as you can imagine, had a lot of adverse immune reactions to that. But what really contributed to the advancement of transfusion medicine was the identification of blood types and um, RH antigens because that allowed for blood type matching. And once blood type matching was identified and put into practice, it really decreased adverse immune responses and paved the way to uh, larger use of blood products.
2: So... (laughs) I, mean, I know it, we can't just sit here and laugh about silly stuff that people did back in the day. But the thought of blood transfusing milk—it's <laughs> really funny. <laughs> I mean, and I mean sheep's blood is quite funny, but milk. Yeah, I mean sheep's blood sort of makes sense. Well, sheep's blood you are like, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But
3: milk, yeah. Interestingly, I mean, I've got a good story about how all this started. It didn't start with actually trying to transfuse blood. So the guy who built St Paul's Cathedral, Christopher Wren. Christopher Wren. Um, so the, the standard story is that, like, in 1665, uh, there was a you know the first successful blood transfusion, and it was all you know done by an English physician, and it was all like you know really oh that's interesting you know we managed to do it from you know from dog to dog basically, mm-hmm. and then in a couple of years later you know we did one from animals to humans, and then we did you know humans, but actually. the the real story starts 10 years before that when Christopher Wren decided he wanted to know if you could poison someone by injecting stuff straight into their blood so instead of like you know making them eat or drink something yeah. you know it's like oh just you know could we assassinate someone basically by by an injection into their blood so he um, i think i know the answer to that as well. <laughs> so he's he's he was working he was like meeting with his mates at the experimental philosophy club which mm-hmm. later became the royal society right and uh, and he did uh, an experiment in front of everyone where he put opium injected opium into a dog And it died, obviously. So, you know, answers yes.
2: Well done. (laughs) Oh, Christopher, we love it.
3: (laughs) So, and then, um, sort of a year later, so so about 10 years later, Robert Hooke did a dog to dog transfusion with a syringe. Hooke's Law. (laughs) That is not what he's famous for. Uh, But I mean, Hook's Law is what he's famous for. Yeah, that's the what I'm saying. The dog is yeah, yeah, syringe. Saying, yeah. No. We well, all know him from <laughs> Hook's
2: Law, but the guy's getting busy with some dogs Yeah, as well.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, and then they started doing like goose feather quill sort of direct transfusions. And then they did interspecies stuff. But then they heard, uh, or the, basically the Royal Society got this letter from the French who said uh, they'd, they'd done uh, animal blood into a human and, uh, and they published this in the sort of annals of the Royal Society. And then they realised they didn't want the French to get it first. Mm-hmm. So they basically ripped the pages out of the annals of the Royal Society. Fantastic! And uh, and and the French had done like a lamb's blood into a forty-five-year-old shepherd, who mm-hmm. basically took the took the blood and then sorted the sheep and took it home. Apparently,
2: <laughs> good day for him. <laughs>
3: nice, nice. And and then, uh, but they so, so the Royal Society replaced this with records of a British experiment. So Britain was seen as doing it first, right? And the British scientists had paid someone twenty shillings to let them put thirty-two ounces of sheep's blood into him. His name was Arthur, Arthur Koga. He was a minister. And Samuel Pepys was there and recorded it in his diary. And he, said, he basically said um, he was a poor, debauched man and a little cracked in the head. <laughs> but, but this all came to light because there are two sets of pages, uh, 489 to 504, for that edition of the Royal Society uh, Annals. And, uh, and people are like, why are there two different things? Why is it like, you know, how can that be? And then they traced it back and it was realised it was basically the first scientific fraud.
2: Fraud, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, that kind of thing doesn't paint scientists in a great light, does well,
3: it? Well, yeah, I mean, when you're starting saying, I wonder if I can kill this dog with opium. I mean, yeah, yeah it's,
2: it's, it's sort of downhill from there, really. And it, isn't if it? I can, I want to take the credit for it. <laughs> I don't like the fact that the French have been doing stuff before me.
3: Exactly, yeah, yeah.
2: And now we do blood transfusions very regularly, and very rarely uh, do we use milk. (laughs) That's to be (laughs) said. That is massively
3: out of value. Uh, I mean, you know, not only do we not use milk, we've now learned how not to kill people with the wrong blood type. So, uh, and that's, you know, that took a few hundred years.
2: Yeah, Professor Ashley mentioned blood types there. I don't think I know my blood type. And in fact, I I sort of thought, oh, this is the kind of thing your parents know. And I knew we were doing the episode about blood today. So I texted my mum. And she was like, "No idea." Oh, so I mean, well, she knows, but weirdly, she knows what she is and she knows what my dad is. So I think I can work out my options. But yeah, or or we can
3: find out whether you're actually, you know, not not um, one of them isn't your parent.
2: Oh, that'd be exciting.
3: (laughs) 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 So I mean, I do know my blood type. So uh, imagine, yeah, 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 Yeah. (laughs) that's how it all started. I do know my blood type because I donate blood uh, regularly out of the goodness of my heart,
2: quite literally, ah. in fact. Uh, well, do you know, so I've realised that my um, my position on blood, when I was saying I'm fine with blood and that kind of stuff, I am an absolute pussy when it comes to, um, like, blood being taken. Oh, are you? Like, and I really, and I, it's terrible. I know I should do it. Like, my both my mum and dad do it. They've encouraged me to do it. I can't, I just hate the needles going in or when you have to have a blood test. I, I really don't. Uh, okay. It makes me feel not great. And do you remember a few years ago when I was really ill, I kept having, they, they kept yeah. taking blood and, yeah, and I was yeah. just getting increasingly, I, I really hate it now. Like I've got a bit of a thing. Uh, you it's not from, really about, not it's really not about, about blood, blood, it's, it's about the the, the, the the process of it. Yeah, it makes me feel quite sort of. uh, um, So I, 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 yeah, I I feel guilty about it.
3: Okay, I I mean, I I do, I I do it for the fruit biscuits, really. So you know.
2: Well, this is it. It's quite nice, isn't it? Quite nice setup. It's it's not bad. It's not bad. Philippa can't give
3: blood either because she just passes out. So I mean, Uh, she obviously has some kind of issue where if it's if it's removed she just goes faint if she and that's sees it.
2: someone else's blood is she okay no no
3: she's, it's not a like response to she oh, it's literally like it's literally, like physiological yeah physiological oh, okay. she just hmm. passed out She. the last time she went to give blood uh, she was like, went out in the evening this was like about a decade ago now and she just didn't come back she was like four hours later like, it was like where where have you been she said oh yeah I, I passed out they just had to keep me under observation for two hours <laughs> You weren't going to let me know this? No, no. Uh, so, yeah. So, so, so I so
2: you so do know. So, do know, so I
3: am O positive, which is the most common type. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's sort of known. It's people sort of call things. it universal donor, but it's not because I, I can't give to anyone who's uh, rhesus negative. Okay. So, what's
2: the, what's, is there a universal?
3: Uh, yeah, so O negative is is basically that's, the, th- that's that you can give one to size everyone. fits all. Yeah, exactly. So that that's it. if you're O negative, you really should be donating blood. I would say because you're you're gold dust mm. basically.
2: So what I feel like this is something I should absolutely know, and it's embarrassing that I don't. I I have no idea what a blood type means
3: okay so we, um, we didn't find this out until 1900 so relatively recently uh-huh. but um it's basically determined by the chemicals on the outer surface of the red blood cells yeah so uh, you get a type a blood the cells build a, a thing it's an antigen it's called an H antigen on top of this of the, the red blood cell mm. and uh, and then on top of that they build an a antigen this is all determined by genetics right and then type B B blood, you still have the H antigen at the bottom, but you have a B antigen yeah. at the top. And O just has the first layer. So the reason why O is more of a universal donor is because it doesn't have the A or the B, which triggers the wrong thing. And if you mix the wrong types of blood together, they just sort of coagulate. So that's how people died in this sort of early experiment.
2: Do, um, do other animals have blood types, then, presumably? I don't know. You guess so, wouldn't you? I think so, yeah. But you'd assume that it maybe it's just a Yeah, it can't well, I mean at least a like a mammalian thing. Yeah, I mean interestingly,
3: scientists don't actually have a good explanation of why there are blood types. You know, what what the yeah, difference what's, what's the evolutionary reason yeah, for having yeah, this? Yeah. Nobody knows.
2: But well, I guess in evolutionary terms, there was never a point when people were trying to swap blood, so that wouldn't No. It's it's not it's not an impediment.
3: No, to anything, no, it? I guess it, it's just, you know, it's just... It's
1: quite weird, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's once like you start weird. to
3: think about it, it's like, you know, it's, hmm. it's sort of mad. And the positive and negative is, is a, a protein that's on the surface. So if your blood has the protein, you're positive. If it doesn't, you're negative. So again, these are just all things for the immune system to pick up on. So if you have it there and your immune system is not used to something being there, then it will reject that blood. Mm. So if you're negative, then you don't have it, and and you're all good. So that's basically how it all works. Yeah. Um, and then you can trace, obviously, because it's passed down genetically, you can trace, you know, what you definitely shouldn't have as a blood type if your parents have, you know, these two blood types. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I casually quizzed my in-laws about their blood type, and then, you know, and to see if Philippa was illegitimate, but she wasn't, so that was disappointing.
2: Well. Well, at least we don't know that from blood. No, no, we don't she know. could still be a legitimate. Need to
3: test the milkman, obviously. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back after this to discuss whether blood types can affect your personality, artificial blood, and as always, we'll be hearing Professor Ashley Brown's answer to this week's question Could we live without blood?
1: that stamps.com code program
3: There's some stupid stuff around blood types. So so people have had the blood type diet you might have heard of. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically nonsense. And and, like and, nonsense. and and the idea is that like somehow you, Type O arose in our hunter-gatherer ancestors and type A arose at the dawn of agriculture and therefore you should be vegetarian. And type B developed like in the Himalayan highlands and that sort of affects the kinds of things you should eat and drink. And it's just all, all absolute nonsense. That's bollocks, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolute nonsense. So just ignore that. And then the other thing that's something big in Japan is the idea that your blood type affects your personality. So uh, the idea is that, like, you know, you, you kind of, it's a bit like astrology. Like horoscopes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Come
2: on. Oh, I love the Japanese.
3: So, so they say that type A's are, like, perfectionist, kind and calm. B's are eccentric and selfish. O's are vigorous and cautious. And a, Bs are complicated. <laughs> complicated because they've got two different, yeah. I mean, honestly. But there's, there's records of employers making hiring decisions based on people's blood groups. In Japan? Yeah, in Japan. Stop it. And young people making dating decisions on that kind of basis.
2: That is absolute madness.
3: And then, in to- this I mean, this is perfect. So in 2011, after Fukushima, mm-hmm. yeah, the nuclear meltdown, mm-hmm. a government minister resigned after offending survivors of the disaster. And he said, he said, I'm really sorry, my blood type is type B, which means I can be irritable and impetuous. <laughs> it's like, it's not my fault, it was my blood. <laughs> Water a get out! Isn't that amazing? So, I mean, you know, I mean, there are some things associated with blood types that are interesting. So, like type A, yes, but
2: not personality, not
3: personality. But type A means you're at increased risk of pancreatic cancer and smallpox infections and heart disease and mm-hmm. severe malaria. So, like, you know, it's to do with the immune system response and the uh, antigens yeah. and the the genes. People with type O, weirdly, are more likely to get ulcers and ruptured Achilles tendons. Which is like, I, must I get be
2: ulcers t- quite often, and my brother-in-law get. I wonder if we're both. Oh, out.
3: maybe your O's. Yeah. I need yeah. to know that. And then norovirus responds to blood type. So if you get an outbreak on a cruise ship of norovirus, basically that strain oh, it of picks nor- out there picks out the- <laughs> that's good. Different strains of norovirus pick out different blood types. Basically, they bind to the same sort of antigens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, like, if you're on a cruise ship and you've got a certain type of norovirus, all the type A's will go down with it and the type O's will be like, what's the problem? I did not know that. That's funny. It's good, isn't it? I didn't know any of this, to be honest. I'm
2: still reeling from the fact that the Japanese are people that I do absolutely gag for. Like, I love those guys. (laughs) I love Japan. (laughs) I can't believe they're taking blood type uh, determining personality seriously. Ah. Yeah. The only one of those things I take seriously is the... um, I can't remember the whole thing, but the Monday's child is blah 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 Wednesday. Uh, you take that seriously. Because I was born on a Sunday and, and Sunday's child is like the one who's oh, the best basically one. But it's just like absolutely ideal. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I suppose there is something in that. Yeah. <laughs> um so because you are nearly a universal donor, you probably could give me your blood unless I'm recess negative. Yeah. Thing is, and no offense. I don't want your blood. (laughs) Can I just get a, a blood substitute? Well, that's
3: exactly what Professor Ashley is working on.
0: I think that we would have a completely artificial blood substitute. So while right now there are several researchers that are working on the individual components and there's some initial research on combining some of these artificial components, I think Ultimately, what we would want to work towards is something that really recapitulates all of the critical functions of blood, but with a synthetic substitute. Something that, again, can be stored for really uh, long periods of time. Something that doesn't take up a lot of space. So that's really important for applications in emergency medicine, rural medicine. If you want to go to space, like you mentioned earlier, uh, you can't have products that are going to take up a lot of volume. Right now, natural blood takes up a lot of space. So those are all things that would be really important to design an ideal artificial blood substitute.
2: I'd never really thought about that, that blood takes up a lot of space. So if you <laughs> want to go to space with spare blood effectively you want to have some like freeze-dried like you have your your weird freeze-dried ice cream and the astronaut ice cream yeah yeah yeah. freeze-dried blood (laughs) and so you just and then just hydrate them both lovely little snack have your transfusion
3: (laughs) i mean if only it were that easy so so blood is really hard to cook up from scratch
2: although hold on am i going mad here if if i'm having to hydrate it anyway then, then you've got the water. water no, so, so you wouldn't
3: hydrate it, I guess, would you? You just,
2: what would I do? Just bung it in? You
3: just bung it in the platelets. Hmm. Maybe uh, you put a, a little bit of water. I'm, in. I'm
2: just injecting. You can have a dried, little bit of water. Right. Yeah. Like a paste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just injecting a paste in. Well, I don't know the sounds of that. So could I, in principle though, have all the sort of ingredients of blood freeze dried and then add water and my blood's good to go.
3: It's not that easy. Artificial blood is tricky, right?
2: I mean, it's it's been
3: a long time coming. People have been trying to do it for you know for decades and decades, and the, and there's so many good reasons to make it right because obviously there's a shortage of donors because uh, people like you are pussies, um, <laughs> and uh, and I mean not all donors are suitable for everyone as we learned with the the blood type thing. Um, you can only keep blood like as it is shelf life forty two days, so it's it's not mm. not great. Mm. Uh, and then we've got an aging population, which basically makes it a lot harder. That can you freeze it? You you can separate it down and sort of do, you know, you can do preservation sort of things on it. Hmm. Uh, you've got groups with religious, obviously, and ethical objections to using, like, other people's blood—they don't mm-hmm. want it uh, brought mm-hmm. into them. So, so you know, people have been trying to solve this problem of like, come on, we can do—surely we can make our own blood. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's really hard. Basically, people died in you know, in trials of of previous things. Um, there's there's sort of two angles to it. So you either you sort of take out the the hemoglobin and try and just sort of do the red blood cell thing yeah. on its own, or you have a thing called a, a perfluorocarbon, which is like a liquid that you know, dissolves oxygen into it. So mm-hmm. it's it, it's. That's been used for like artificial breathing,
2: yeah, uh, for instance, like
3: things like that, but but you know, various. People sort of researched it, developed products, but put them into trials. And, and there were, you know, people who died in the trials. So the investors just went, you know, the, the mm. basically the sector tanked.
2: Investors don't like that, do they? <laughs> I mean, famously. How's it going? Well,
3: <laughs> another couple dead, actually. So, I mean, so what people try and do is sort of take out the sort of components or, or, or make the individual components of stuff. So, which is how transfusions are mostly given. Like, you know, you don't get given a whole like sack of someone's blood. Mm. You get given uh, platelets or, or you get given sort of red blood cells uh, or you get given plasma. So Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I
2: didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's what quite rare to give people like, you whack know. Whack it in. Yeah,
3: yeah. Just like. Ah. So you, you can kind of get somewhere with doing stuff like this. So there's a product called Hemopure, which is basically distilled, modified red blood cells from cows. -hmm. Uh, Delivers oxygen uh, via the hemoglobin, and it's made by separating the red blood cells out of cow blood, then processing them to produce the sort of microscopic hemoglobin molecules in a solution that the body can kind of you know process. So, um, and it comes in a liquid sachet, but it doesn't need refrigeration. Um, So you can literally you know you get it in a cardboard box Mm or delivered to Mm -hmm. you,
2: like a Capri Sun. Exactly what I thought. Yeah, that's exactly. That's
3: how I saw it. Maybe not with an orange on the front,
2: (laughs) and then a little straw, but it's an eagle.
3: So, um, and this has been uh, this this develops in notoriety because one of the Tour de France cyclists tried to use it as a like a performance enhancer. Of
2: course, Michael
3: Rasmussen, two thousand and seven. He actually said it didn't work at all. But He was, you know, he had the. I think he had the yellow jersey at the time, and he just got, uh, you know, put out of the race for for trying to use this. Yeah. So this is actually sort of, you know, in some ways, a product that is successful in that it does a certain kind of job, but it doesn't do every, everything you want, and and it hasn't right. hasn't got FDA approval uh, yet.
2: So, so what kind of person would need it or want it?
3: Well, somebody um, who's you know in severe crisis, like that, you know, there's something gone wrong with their blood, uh, and you need some kind of temporary fix. But let yeah. me let me just tell you, I mean, because Professor Ashley is, um, her team is developing artificial platelets, so sort of a different way of you know different part of the of the blood so um you know it's basically the tiny blood cells that control bleeding and and they've had some success in mice and rats obviously you know that always, that, always. Um, and uh, and they're sort of basically at the point of like you know trying to use them in pigs now sort of scaling up to more sort of human scale stuff so uh, these synthetic platelets basically you know they they might be useful for like surviving Trauma mm-hmm. surgeries, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody's coming in and they're bleeding out, you can, you know, you can sort of stem the the problem with this kind of thing, or of course stem cells. So you you take stem cells and you know that will, you know you can make turn into red blood cells, and yeah. that's harder, um, and and so far hasn't produced anything that we can actually use.
2: Why, why, why is that harder? I would have thought that that would be.
3: I guess it, I mean, I there was supposed to be a trial of this, like in 2019, which seemed to have just disappeared. And you know, I don't know what happened to sign. it. Yeah. So, so you know, they were saying, oh, it's really good, and we're going to put yeah. this into a trial. We're just going to like put it into ten volunteers, like a little teaspoon of stem cell induced, you know, red blood cells. And I'm, I'm I'm trying to find what had happened to that. I haven't. I can't find
2: anything at all. Destroy the records. It's <laughs> 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 <This> never happened. <laughs>
3: So um, and then that's, that's, people have tried engineering like a bone marrow implant sort of thing. So you know it sort of produces the, the things that produce. This. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, it's just sort of not quite working. So none of this has got to the point where we can do actual medicine with the whole thing.
2: So is the approach that people like Professor Ashley are just trying to replicate all of the individual components of blood, or? just looking at all of the things that Blood does and sort of going back to a drawing board and saying, okay, how can we create something that does all of this? Do you see what I mean? There's a a slight difference.
3: I think that they're trying to do the components because the Uh whole thing... It's too, I mean, the so whole thing is, is, you know, the result of, you know, you know millions, millions of years of years evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll I tell point. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's quite tricky to just sort of turn up on a, on a Monday morning and sort the whole thing.
2: I've, I've come up with new blood, I think.
3: <laughs> anyway, I'll let uh, Professor Ashley explain, uh, you know, what the possibilities are.
0: Most of what we're talking about is futuristic. However, there are some products that are approved for compassionate use. Specifically, there's a red cell substitute that has been approved, well, not actually approved, but it can be used for compassionate use, specifically for those types of situations. And in those situations, the patient either will receive this um, emergency authorized product or they would have to get treated in some other way. And those treatment options are then going to be extremely limited. So their outcomes you know, are going to be severely affected if they don't have access to therapies that can replace the oxygen carrying capabilities of blood.
2: A phrase I love to hear from a scientist is um, red cell substitutes, which have been uh, approved. Well, uh, not, not. No,
3: I, uh, <laughs> I mean, currently the only clinical product in use is basically saline solutions uh, that expand the volume of blood, so so you can right. maintain blood pressure, allow mm-hmm. red cells to keep working and regenerating and stuff. But some of these products, you know, hopefully will be rolled out within the next ten years. I mean, that's that's famously another scientific so, scientific yeah. way of saying how yeah, long? Do you not think? yet, I don't know. No, it's ten years. It's ten years. Ten right? years, and that's all obviously subject to clinical trials.
2: And, and otherwise, it's just compassionate use so how, how do we kind of define that
3: so that's the fda's term for so this is the
2: american yeah the um, food and drug, drug administration yeah.
3: basically saying it's not really working is it but i you can imagine scenarios where you've got no other option um you've tried everything the patient's going to die unless you do something last of the dice exactly so there was a woman called uh, alexis piper who in 2018, she had sickle cell, or she has sickle cell, mm-hmm. uh, and she had a flare up, uh, which basically means that the, her red blood cells, which as you know, they're normally round, flexible, and they just sort of twist up and dry up effectively. They become rigid and sticky and like twist up into this sickle shape, which is why, where it gets its name. So they don't carry oxygen in that state. So she basically went into this crisis where, um, you know, her blood cells aren't working. Her blood cells, red blood cells aren't working. Uh, they, you know, they're getting stuck in the smaller blood vessels. She's in and they like can't transport oxygen no, anywhere, massive yeah. amounts yeah. of pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she had a few days of standard transfusions and none of it really worked. She basically got to the point where she was in a, a fatal or potentially fatal state. And then they got, um, basically, they got out of the haemopure you know, the Capri Sun. Mm-hmm. So they got a box of the Capri Sun blood cells, put a transfusion through an IV and saved her life. So it was a last ditch thing. And this thing is only licensed for compassionate use. Cool. And it can work. There's about 400 cases where Hemopure has given people enough sort of time to actually recover from whatever's ailing them. Also, um, do you remember a couple of years ago, the the pig brain that people brought back, to, not back to life, but but started cellular function again after the pig had died. Yeah, That was Hemopure. Was it? Yeah, yeah. So they put ah. they put that in HemaPure, and the the you know there was enough from these cow red blood cells, you know, that have been processed. It's enough sort of you know chemical stimulant from them to be able to sort of get some of the cells sort of active again. So it's sort of you know basically. And the pigs like what the fuck? <laughs> the pigs like mm. <laughs> the, the, the
2: pigs basically like. Well, this is all very Descartes. Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, let's be clear. The
3: pig did not come back to life. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, Neither did the brain regain any consciousness. But it, it just sort of shows the promise of like, you know, we're on the cusp of being able a to bit of something, do something. something. There's something yeah. going on there.
2: Mm. Yeah. So back to the question, could we live without blood? So that's exactly what I asked Ashley
3: to kind of give us a, a, an answer to.
0: You could potentially live if you had something that was able to provide all of the functionality of blood. Once we have developed a full artificial blood substitute, I think we could live without one. In the meantime, probably not.
3: Like we said, it's millions of years of evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have good artificial organs. or We're not very good at replicating biology, are we? Because say it, we're
2: we're getting better we're getting with artificial better organs, at done, it's, aren't we? It's a
3: tough ask, yeah. and blood is so sort of central and vital mm. to the whole process of of biology functioning in our biology anyway. Mm. That you know, it's not surprising that it's really finely honed, and we just don't have the control of of sort of molecular properties to be able to do this yet.
2: But it it's a sort of feels like a complexity problem. Yeah, it? yeah, it does. And complexity problems, we usually get there in the end. Is that fair to say? I I don't see any reason. I don't see any roadblocks. No, really. I think there are
3: just it's just control over biological or biochemical processes mm. that we haven't yet got,
2: but yeah. we're getting better. But we, at. Yeah, we we get better and better and better at yeah. things. So eventually, there isn't a kind of obvious obstacle that we won't be able to overcome, is there? No, no, I don't think so. But which amazingly, sort of true of
3: most stuff. <laughs> isn't it i mean it's maybe, maybe is that our conclusion every week yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> give it time give it time <laughs> we'll get there don't worry in the meantime get out there and give blood if you can yes yeah i may, maybe this is um maybe this is the spark i needed i'm gonna go give it a go i really i, I hate think about it but i it's absolutely imperative because there are shortages and we should do it just also i'll find out what uh blood type i am
3: also yeah think about the biscuit.
2: Just think about the biscuits. I can buy my own biscuits. I don't need <laughs> free biscuits. I'm doing okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lardy Dar. Eureka is a stack production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The production team is Andrea, Lucia, Peters, Luke Moore, and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Professor Ashley Brown. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a big difference. You can also find us on Twitter at EurekaPot.
0: Eureka is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.